I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome back to the Defenders TV podcast, the home of the Marvel Netflix shows Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and The Iron Fist, all leading to the miniseries The Defenders. This is episode two of Daredevil, called Cut Man, and this is episode six of Defenders TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John, also known as The Iron Fist, and on Fridays I may also be Jessica Jones. <laughs> Hi, I'm Derek. I'm your lawyer by day and defender by night. Hi, guys. I'm Chris. Um, I'm actually Chris Jones, but uh, John has now decided to co-opt my uh, Jessica Jones tagline. So just Jones, Mr. Jones. Dude. You could be Luke Cage. I could be Luke Cage. <laughs> yeah. You could be also known as Jessica Jones. Yeah. On a Friday. On a Friday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and of course, we are here to discuss the Cut Man and the first defender, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have been binge watching like most most people that we know watching uh, Daredevil on Netflix today. So uh, so good to get a second episode in. Can we call it a binge when we're only on episode two yet? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely been binge watching. It's more than one a week, so that's definitely okay. Binge yeah. yeah. uh, what do you guys think of the episode? It grew on me, and actually, by um, the end of the episode, and with a bit of time just to think about it. It grew on me, and I preferred it more than I think I did when I was watching it, but I still liked it. Mm-hmm. But now I think it's better than it was whilst I was watching it. Right. So I liked it, yeah. Okay. Slightly slow-paced, okay. um, not the wham-bam action that we had in the, the pilot, but yeah, similar to John, it kind of, they spent more time setting up a lot of the characters, the environment, the backstory. They had a few more flashbacks than we did in the first episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, again, yeah, similar to John. Kind of by the end of it, I was like, okay, this, it was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. Did I enjoy it as much as the first? Uh, at the moment, it's fifty fifty. We'll we'll go back once I have episode three. Then I'll start my ranking order. Okay, okay. Uh, for me, definitely, I enjoyed the episode. Again, I liked spending time with these characters actually a bit more uh, in this episode than the first episode. The first episode was really. Wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Off we go. Right, get on to the get on to the next one. This one definitely just took the time to to get to know some of the characters that were being introduced. So uh, a different type of episode, but definitely enjoyable. From now, I think we'll go into our spoiler-filled review of the episode. John, uh, do you want to give us the synopsis for Cut Man? Again, this episode was written by Drew Goddard, who uh, who wrote the first episode, wrote Cabin of the Woods, and wrote uh, Cloverfield. And it was also directed by Phil Abrams, who uh, directed the first episode. Um, so, John, do you want to start us off with your synopsis? Daredevil, episode two, Cut Man. Matt Murdock's identity as the master vigilante, helping the less well-off in Hell's Kitchen, is revealed after he is found and helped by an off-duty nurse called Claire Temple, who attends to his wounds following a failed rescue of a kidnapped boy that goes very badly for Matt at the hands of the Russian mob. Meanwhile, Karen is still trying to get to grips with her harrowing ordeal after an attempt on her life, but she finds a sympathetic ear to share her troubles to in the shape of Matt's law partner, Foggy Nelson, and of course, a well-stocked bar to help her forget as her and Foggy begin to bond. As Matt's wounds are stitched up and he begins to recover from the injuries, Matt gets flashbacks to his dad's own mortality in the aftermath of the throne fight against Creel. However, the Russian mob trail the vigilante to Claire's apartment, where the ensuing fire extinguisher takedown and the brutal eye interrogation of the mobster leads Matt to where they are holding the young kid as hostage, and the kid ultimately is rescued by the vigilante. Uh, Yes, yes. Ah, some great stuff in there, definitely. John, do you want to give us your first point? 
I will go with the, the fire extinguisher takedown and the eye interrogation. I mean, just generally, I think uh, my first point is this was quite a bloody episode, given that it was also quite character-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, um, the fire extinguisher takedown. I love that. I just love the expression of Claire Temple, played by Rosario Dawson, as... Matt's holding this extinguisher out over the balcony on the, I don't know, 10th floor, 5th floor or something, as this mobster who's tracked him to her apartment and ultimately knows that he's there. You know, he's listening to him going down the stairs, and then he hits the tiles of the ground floor and he kind of just lets go. Now, I would have thought it may have caved his head in. Um, but nonetheless, it knocks him out, unconscious and so on, and then we get this interrogation uh, on the roof, mm-hmm. which again is pretty brutal. Um, there's certainly some questions raised as to whether um, Matt Murdock enjoys this by Rosario Dawson. He does say, you know, I like this, I enjoy this to the guy he's interrogating. But then Rosario comes in with, you know, shove a knife in just behind his eye to. I suppose, part of the optic nerve. And he will soon um, tell you everything. And he will certainly, uh, you know, let you know once you've hit that nerve. And I mean, anything to do with eyes for me and stabby things going near them is always kind of like, just like cringy, you know? Yeah, once again, I want this to be a video podcast because you'd see Chris squirming in the corner while John is describing these scenes that make himself squirm. So. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it, it's one of those, it's similar to Grand Theft Auto Five, that oh. torture. It was just, I was like, this is amazing. Oh my God, it's actually killing me to watch this mm-hmm. slightly inside. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, no, very squirmish. Definitely, but I did like the guidance being given from the character of Claire Temple as to what Matt could do. Now, Again, Matt's blind, um, so I would be, I was quite nervous in the scene that Matt could have plunged the, the uh, blade a bit too deep into the guy's head, uh, rather than interrogate him, could have killed him. Um, but I, I definitely liked it, yeah, definitely definitely interesting, but but uh, difficult to watch scene. Very difficult, but as well, the, the guy he's interrogating squirming around, and he's like saying, hold still, you know, mm. otherwise, who knows where this pointy knife is going to end up. Mm-hmm. May have lost an eye and have to wear an eye patch. Again, it was uh, pretty, pretty brutal, but it does open up this question. He did kind of say, you know, I enjoy this. I can do this all all day kind of uh, thing. You know, he does then take him down and hold him over uh, the edge of the, the top floor of the, the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it poses that question, is there part of um, Matt Murdock that enjoys the thrill of the violence and, and being um, beaten up, you know, like with his dad, it's becoming established in the show that he can ultimately take a good uh, beating mm-hmm. that, you know, like his father is able to withstand punches and kicks and, and all this to the body, much more so than the average person. Mm-hmm. So there is that question raised and Claire Temple does answer it to a to an extent, saying she doesn't think that he does that. It, you know that was bravado and show in front of the guy. But um, it's an interesting question to raise when there was so much violence in this episode. Um, there really was a lot of um, blood. It opened with blood. There was blood a quarter of the way through, halfway through, mm-hmm. three quarters of the way through, and right at the end. So it was a violent episode, despite a lot of the character development as well. But I really enjoyed that. Um, I kind of liked the. The, the brutality of this episode. Yeah, yeah, a cut man does bleed. I suppose, it's, uh, hence the name of the name of the episode. Uh, Chris, anything on on that particular scene? Yeah, completely agree. That 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 particular scene really stood out for me, and actually brings me perfectly to my point, mm-hmm. which was that with even with all the blood, the character driven um, plot that we we got from this, um, they still left enough for jokes. Mm-hmm. So we had the foggy and Karen that element of fun and kind of comic um, relief. But then actually with Matt and um, Miss Temple, uh, the nurse, we saw that, that there was two standout jokes for me, which were fantastic. Mm-hmm. The one about uh, takes a lot of punishment and doesn't 
uh, doesn't complain and he retorts with uh, yeah that's my Catholicism upbringing <laughs> or my Catholic upbringing uh-huh. and then um, uh, Claire Temple again kind of slags off his suit and he goes leave off it's a work in progress uh-huh. and I thought they, they were just even with all the blood the gore and it, it is a dark show mm-hmm. but they still find these kind of nice little nods of comic humour that I know that's an oxymoron but <laughs> it is it, it made me kind of laugh out loud a bit there in the corner when I was watching it yeah yeah we don't put Chris in the corner but uh, <laughs> I'm in a corner right there <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no t- I totally agree um, it kind of leads into it leads into one of my points um, regarding it's just a couple what I've done for my points for this episode is a lot of references that they make to other films or other or other shows I did think there's this tiny little reference here that could be construed as Hydra with Simeon, who's uh, who's the guy that's being beaten by, uh, by Matt, what he responds with is, "Kill me, someone else will take my place," which is the uh, the Hydra tagline. So, uh, so I thought that was quite a, a little, little little Easter egg, tiny little one. Just quickly for our listeners, do you like Nicholas Fury? I might. <laughs> might you be do wearing you... a Hydra T-shirt right now? I might be. Could you be reading into it? I could be. I could be. But I've also been watching. Uh, 20-odd episodes, well, actually, at this stage, 35-odd episodes of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it's bred my mind to think that anybody <laughs> could be Hydra. It's everyone, exactly. <laughs> and that was one of my points, just the, the element of Hydra in there. So, cool. John, John, back to you. It kind of links into my first point, actually. Again, it's another fight, and actually, it's the final fight. Mm. I thought this was brilliant. Someone had to steal this point, obviously. I know. So go, John. Right. Yeah, um, this is my, my, one of mine, too. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I thought there were loads of different elements to it as Matt Murdock arrives to save this kidnapped um, kid, who I think is the same kid at the end of episode yeah. one, where we see his dad being sort of kicked to the ground and then beaten up by the, the Russians, and the kids bundled off into the back of the van. Yeah, it so, is definitely, yeah. Um, but I just thought there were loads and loads of different uh, elements to this. A bit like, as Chris has just mentioned, with the, the humour. Um, there are lots of humorous elements to this quite brutal fight. Like, mm. I loved the... Um, I loved the sight of seeing all the fighters, but especially Matt Murdock, get more tired as the fight progressed. It was almost like he really had trouble lifting his arm and it became an effort to do all of these these takedown moves that he was trying to do on on all these Russians. And that, I thought, was really good. And then there was the whole going into the different rooms. And I don't know, I think it was part of a computer comes flying out of the the door and hitting one of the guys in the head. I thought that was really um, funny as well. Yeah, it was a microwave, wasn't it? Because the door door flips open as it hits him, yeah. And uh, was there a ding as well? (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) And then also just the final punch that that, um, Matt Murdock does, he's so knackered and so tired that he swings, hits hits the guy... And seems to fall through the door out of shot, almost like sort of a, a comedy f- um, fall through a door. And I, I just thought it was a great corridor uh, fight. Um, and again, it kind of links into my first point. Um, I know that there was a lot of um, a lot of fighting and, and punching and blood in this episode, but this one I thought was great. It seemed to be really well um, choreographed. Um, again, it was superb. Loved it. Absolutely. Chris? Um, okay, I'm just going to follow on from that fight um, because one of the, the amazing parts of that was the camera angles. It just seemed to be a guy kind of carrying a camera going down, but the fight would go off into a room, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't see. You could just hear the, 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 the actual flesh punch and you could hear the crash. So you never actually fully went into the room. Mm-hmm. You stayed in this hallway. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing because it was just a, it, the camera panned up and down. Very minimal cuts. It just seemed to be one flowing take. Exactly. Um, and I thought, yeah, a bit of it was absolutely fantastic. That was one of my points too. Yeah, yeah, and and again, I'll, I'll uh, we'll, we've all got this as, as one of our points. Uh, mine is the reference. So, do you know what film this reference is? Anybody? Anybody? No. Um, it's the uh, the film Old Boy. Um, there is a scene in Old Boy, a uh, Japanese film, uh, directed by Chan Wook Park, which is a one take scene of fifteen minutes of fighting. Uh, as the main character escapes his captivity, he fights 
for 15 minutes with one long take, no no cuts, no breaks. He gets tired. He still fights on. This scene was done. This, I think the opening shot of the of this one take is the first gangster, first Russian uh, kidnapper going to feed the young boy. The camera's over his shoulder as he goes to feed him. He moves into the next room. The camera follows him. Uh, he, another guy stands up, walks into another room, and it just has the dynamic camera is moving for one entire shot for the full 15 minutes. It picks up on Matt as he arrives. The fight carries on. And as both of you have pointed out, the whole scene is, is done uh, is done as one style and showing them tiring out. So it's it's absolutely a reference to Old Boy and really well done. It's not It's not been done in U, in US cinema uh, to, to this extent. They did remake the film Old Boy in the US. Not even close to as good no. as, as that one scene from the uh, from the original. Well, yeah, because it also reminded me of other um, sort of great corridor fights. Like, the, was it the the Thai one um, up in the tower block? The raid. The raid again. You know, you have that c- confined space along the corridor, and um, obviously, Absolutely. it's something that's done so well in um, Asian filmmaking. So, mm-hmm. it was great to see that. The other element of this then that I thought just topped it off really well was he goes in, saves the kid, and then you have to remember, like, he's a blind man walking with the kid in his arms, all these bodies and the door and the microwave all strewn through the corridor. Mm -hmm. And he's not walking as quickly as he normally does, but he's certainly not having any trouble sort of uh, negotiating a path through all this debris that he's left behind from people through to objects. I really liked that. That was kind of, he walks towards the camera again. I think that was, uh, there was a fun element in that as well, I think. A slight stumble, I think, once as he tries to get over the door, but I I love that as well, just to top off that entire scene. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, do you have another point? Yeah, um, visual style for for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to see a lot of the, the yellow and reds come in now, right? Really, really heavily. So that that fight scene we're talking about, the 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 yellow light mm-hmm. is bathing the majority of the of the hallway, even though the hallway seems to be an off kind of green kind of white. Green, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you just have this yellow light pouring in when you first see Matt come in. Mm-hmm. Um, the red on the rooftop coming from uh, some kind of I'm assuming billboards, and then we don't actually see it. Right. But there's a red light there, yeah, and the blood from uh, from Simeon. <laughs> yeah, and that does probably help. Uh, and then we have um, the red and yellow uh, jumpsuit or kind of cloak uh, that uh, Battling Jack is wearing when he's going into the the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really brings about it seems some nice nods back to this is Daredevil's color style for those who, um, for those who you don't know. Um, for about six to seven seven issues, uh, Daredevil when he started was wore a yellow and red uh, costume, mm-hmm. and then moved to the well known red costume that we have today. Um, so it seems to be a nod that okay we're building up to it, um, and this is these are his colors. So it seems to be very dark visual with these splashes of yellow and red kind of, and I I can't tie them to an emotion. I can't tie them to anything in particular. Right. It just seems to be. Well, there probably is. Once we see more, we might get to say, okay, red equals rage, right. yellow equals vengeance or justice. But we'll see how it kind of plays out. Yeah, yeah, no, be really interesting, really interesting catch. Yeah, um, what do you think of the costume of Daredevil? We haven't actually spoken about it. Anybody's uh, no. has got it as a point. What do you think of, of Daredevil's black costume in in the series so far? Well, this reference in Frank Miller, um, you know, Man Without Fear, <clears throat> really heavily there. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that it's. Um, a bandana sort of over sort of like the top three quarters of his of his head and of his face. That to me is is it looks good. It looks cobbled together. It does remind me uh, slightly of Kickass. This idea that you know he's gone down to the local store. He's bought kind of black jeans as a black top, and he's picked out a, a black bandana, a bit like Kickass going onto Amazon and getting the the scuba diving suit and and, and the 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 airwave kind of boots and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked. Uh, I like that kind of organicness of it, mm-hmm. and I like then the reference from Claire Temple. You know, what's with the suit kind of thing, and he sit, talks about it being a, 
a work in progress, as we've kind of already mentioned. And as Chris has mentioned, that you know we might see then varying iterations of this suit from the the yellow, which I really haven't seen that much of at all. I mean, I know it's from the comics and so on, but mm-hmm. I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing Daredevil in a yellow suit because it's not been done before on the on the TV or on film. So that I'll be looking forward to. I think. Yeah. Um, but I, I like all this, the, the black suit, it feels organic, it feels like it's the a work in progress and it's the beginning of ultimately getting to that classic sort of red um, or scarlet um, kind of Daredevil suit that we know uh, and love, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was one of the scenes that was shown at New York Comic Con last year, the scene between Claire Temple and uh, and Matt on the couch where they talk about the suit, and I think it was chosen quite specifically because all the prom- promo images that we've seen in the run-up to Daredevil had him in the black suit. That specific scene chosen uh, was chosen for Claire saying, you know, I don't really like the suit, and he says, ah, it's a work in progress. Uh, I think it's specifically put there to allay fears of the fans that he might not be in his traditional red suit. We see from the opening titles of the show that the red suit's coming. Mm. Um, we know that. I'm not too sure about the yellow suit. I know we, we, there's possible possibility of it. I think there might, might be more of a reference to it rather than him in an actual yellow suit. I don't know they will see that in the show. Um, I'd say maybe, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they'll put him in the yellow suit. Maybe that the gear he gets to make the final red suit starts off yellow before he spray paints it or something. Maybe. And, or someone make, cracks a joke saying... You'd look better in yellow. Something very Marvel-esque, a nod for us fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'd love to see it, mm-hmm. the red and yellow suit. I, I think it would just give that dichotomy of, okay, we've got you've gone black, you've gone the red, yellow, and then you just go straight at red. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think we'll see it. But on the actual costume at the moment, I'm sold on it. Mm-hmm. I, I've loved it since Frank Miller's kind of start. I would prefer, prefer to see the sneakers. Okay. With the white sneakers that he has in Man Without Man Without Fear, right? Versus the combat boots he's wearing, kind of at the moment in the show. Yeah, um, I thought that would have been a nicer nod. Mm-hmm. Maybe again, we might see that because he was wearing sweats in that in the comic book. But this seems like you said, kind of black jeans, combat. Yeah. It does look like he has this kind of. I think we we chatted about it after watching episode two. There's something on the bandana, mm-hmm. some kind of label or signature or something. Yeah, I'm wondering if we'll find out what that is or if we'll kind of we find when he's first building the suit of flashback he, he cuts something up and we're like ah that makes right. sense right. but yeah no I like it Um, I want to see him in the red I know this out on social media people have kind of now that they've seen some of the red uh-huh. images in some of the motion graphics that have come out Netflix have released Charlie Cox in the red Um, and I know a lot of fans are kind of going no we prefer the black Yeah, uh, I'm I'm reserving judgment Absolutely. until I see it in action. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it looks it looks good, but I, again, until we see him move, until we do see a proper fight team with it, uh, I think we should wait. Yeah, to- totally agree. But, and the black does have little lines of red on it at the moment. I mm-hmm. think there's some flecks there. Um, and I do think that I have seen a, um, a comic image where he has yellow and black as well. Yeah. Where is, is it That's a right. yellow hood? Um, and then sort of black suit or black, you know, uh, clothes on, or it's vice versa. I can't remember now which, but there's certainly also then the the black and yellow iteration of the suit. Maybe we will see that, even if it's just trying on a new hood or bandana. Uh, Yellow is too uh, conspicuous. I'd love to see one of the 80s style movie kind of, montage with him trying on loads of different suits <laughs> yeah. and colours and then finally filling on the red. That'd yeah. be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, someone actually made the point quite recently that uh, that I was listening to um, you know, Matt Murdock is blind. Uh, the one thing he can't tell by all of his additional senses what colour something is. So wouldn't it be hilarious if he was wearing something drastically stand out? You know, he has to I suppose he has to depend on the kindness of shopkeepers uh, when he goes in and says, can I have that in black, please? Make sure it's the darkest black you have. Um, so I, I just thought that was quite a, uh, quite a fun point. I'm going to take that as my next point. Um, John, you got another, another point for us. Yeah, um, I think this is a, a short point. Again, I think it really helps grow the the myth and the, the power and the intrigue. But we are on episode two, and again, we have not seen 
the kingpin. And in this one, we don't even hear him. And we don't see his right-hand man in the form of Wesley Welch. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's really, again, just adding to episode one on this absence of the kingpin, which is part of the point that he is in the shadows. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He will do if he has to, I presume. But he wants to be detached from this mm -hmm. and, and and the muckiness of the day-to-day -day crime. So I really like that element again, the absence of the kingpin. And it's just a short point. It's just a, a quick point because it's so obvious yeah. um, that he's not been there in the first two. So I think I might just keep a, a, a running little uh, check now to see how far we get into the 13 episodes uh, before... We see Vincent D'Onofrio um, mm -hmm. as Kingpin, aka Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yeah, and no, a really good point. Uh, it, it's it's almost noticeable by his absence because of how how significantly involved Vincent D'Onofrio has been in the campaign coming up to the show. So, um, but I, I don't mind. Uh, the show's been really good so far, and I don't mind him not being in there so far. Do you think it was because a, a casting filming thing? That's what I was just trying to think about. Just mm. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. He was so. It was noticeable, so noticeable that we didn't. If we even had a superimposed a voice over a, a phone in a quick scene, that would have made a lot more sense to me. Mm -hmm. Again, kind of the puppet master pulling strings. Yeah. But he just wasn't. It wasn't there. So I'm wondering, was it a filming? Maybe they filmed these scenes first, and Vincent, the actor who plays Wilson Fisk, wasn't even cast at this point. Or um, I don't know. It was just it. it yeah, could be that. Yeah, I, 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 there's no none of the villains that were in the first episode were in this episode. Am I right? They, um, they talked about the Russian kidnappers, but none of the, neither of the two uh, brothers from the first episode were in this episode. So, no. Um, no. so we had we had no point, no need for for Wilson in this. I do know just from some background stuff that this was the first episode that Deborah and Wall shot. So this was shot out of sequence and was shot as their first episode where they all kind of meet and uh, get to know each other essentially so um, so it's very possible that just those three main members of cast or four main members if you include Rosario Dawson were on set together for the first time and that's why they did an episode that didn't need all the rest of the people but yeah that's, that, that is a possibility too Do you have your next point? Um, very very quick one um, I and anyone who knows me knows I hate broken continuity Okay. and this one luckily so far Daredevil has not pulled me out <laughs> if I see something that's out of continuity mm -hmm. um, it just pulls me straight out of the, the actual the film or TV show or what I'm watching and um, they've actually bruised up uh, Karen's neck from when she was being strangled very good um, so you saw the bruises on her neck yeah. and, I, and they, then I was expecting in the bar scene maybe because I probably could have filmed and usually this way you see when you see something that's kind of as forgettable as a neck yeah. injury. Uh, not forgettable, sorry, I should say. <laughs> not if you but, have one. Yeah, <laughs> but um, they, they kept it bruised for the whole for the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was brilliant. It was just, and it, again, um, even Foggy, the the tie pin was back in it. Right. right. And if, those, if you listen to episode one, I have a thing about this tie pin. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is, but it's there. Um but yeah, no, so the continuity was kept fresh and she had her bruises. And then even when she had her arms, she was bruised a bit uh, for when her head smacked against the wall mm -hmm. um, and her body was kind of punched around by the attacker in the first episode. Now, I want to see how they handle Matt's parade of uh, punishment that he puts his body through. Mm. Um, so that are we going to see now in episode three that he is badly, he's limping a bit, he's badly beaten, because when he was carrying that kid towards the end of the fight scene, he he had a gash, he had a, a small metal spike sticking out of his chest from yeah. when his lungs were, his chest was collapsing. So I'm like, okay, he's going to have a bit sore there, so I'm going <laughs> to put her hand there. Uh -huh. I'm hoping that, yeah, so continuity was a big one, and they, so far, done it proud, and fingers crossed they continue on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good one. It's, it's funny you should say that about... Um, him seemingly, it kind of crossed my mind. Again, it's only really a quibble, and I, it, in this case, it's not really uh, bothered me too much. But I kind of was thinking, he's doing an awful lot of uh, lifting, running around, and um, like even just holding the um, the the mob guy who's dressed up as a cop or the corrupt cop 
over the edge and then finally pushing him off. And mm. then, as you say, going into the fight with all the Russians into their kind of den to rescue the kidnapped kid. And um, I was just thinking, has there been a time jump here that he's sort of somewhat better yeah. and healed? Or does he have um, healing properties, you know, or is that part of um, his heightened sort of abilities in some way? I didn't think so, but part of me just immediately kind of thought, it seems like he's not just had all those things that you've said, Chris, you know, the the knife to the side. And he's, I mean, in the dumpster, he was in a bad, bad way. Yeah, and he was lifted up to uh, Claire Temple's apartment by her and the kid who found him. So I did just wonder that, but I can I can let that go quite easily. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that kid, mm-hmm. the, who we only see mentioned, we only see on screen twice. Uh-huh. He's seen Matt Murdock's face. Yes, he has. Yes, so he I'm has. wondering will that come back to haunt yeah. in, the, in a later episode? It's very possible because remember he's told Claire Temple to leave her apartment because the guys will come back for her when they're better. Yeah, and um, it's very possible that they'll uh, that they'll go after the kid uh, in a future episode, but we don't know yet because we're not binging that way. I think it's my next point. It is. Uh, What's yes. your point then, Derek? Um, for me, I've got uh, Foggy and Karen. Um, I really like the the scenes between Foggy and Karen here. She's uh, Deborah Wall is again playing quite vulnerable when when Foggy's in the office uh, in the evening. She sits back and she's she's listening to him sing and then laughing along with him. Um, it really does feel like she needs cheering up after a, a pretty horrible ordeal in the first episode. Um, but one specific thing stood out to me. I did say that a lot of my stuff have references to other films kind of built into my points. I feel there's a reference in the bar when Foggy, Foggy's talking to Karen about the people that are in the bar and why she shouldn't worry about them and why they are just the nicest people in the world. It really felt like a scene from um, Shaun of the Dead. Um, yeah. Okay. When Ed and Sean, uh, played by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, are sitting in the bar and Ed is pointing out all the interesting folks that are in the bar to try and talk um, talk Simon Pegg's character Sean down from leaving all, all this past behind him, trying to explain to him that his life is actually quite good uh, he's surrounded by interesting people who were exciting in a previous life um, this is very similar to the conversation that Foggy's having with Karen here yeah okay the place might be a dive that the bar that we're in might be a dive but look at all the interesting people that are around you and they wouldn't hurt a fly, they've all been lovely to us and I've helped them all out as well so don't worry, you're with your people, uh, which I thought was just a nice little reference, but a nice, uh, good, a good scene. Yeah, no, I, I liked, um, I liked this sort of uh, interaction between the two of them. It, it was kind of really nice bonding. I liked the reference back to sort of the blood being on the carpet and that she doesn't really want to to go back there. That she's got that trauma still from the the previous ordeal, which so often can just be forgotten. I mean, as Chris was talking about continuity, that kind of stuff, it that, that post-traumatic stress of going through something like that can be just easily sort of left in the previous episode mm-hmm. and it, it's like it doesn't persist through into then the, the following episodes. And again, we have that persistence through and um, into episode two. And I really kind of like that as well. And that... I like them sort of getting to know one another um, in the bar as well. I think there's the great line, I, I swallowed the eel, because mm-hmm. they were drinking the tequila. Um, is it tequila, I think, with the eel? Is that with a scorpion or something? Or, a scorpion. A, or a maggot or something like that? I think um, a lot of things have been preserved in alcohol and, and put behind that kind yeah. of um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. But And that whole reference to it's, it's their dive. Um, and mm-hmm. It was really good, and it was kind of a nice bonding moment, I thought, and... Um, between these characters, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to see a lot more of that bar, actually. I'm, I'm wondering if it'll be like the Central Perk and Friends uh, to, to, to to Murdoch and, uh, and Nelson's uh, practice. What do you think? Josie's. Josie's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, anything on Foggy and Karen? I, I, again, I, I like the dichotomy between them. I, I think yeah. it's it's nice. It's He is going to play... I, I think there is... I made the joke in the last episode about this love triangle. Mm-hmm. Between the man in the mask, Foggy, and um, Karen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is getting closer and closer. I think Foggy will slowly fall for her, and she may not feel the same way. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm still worried for Karen. I feel like I'm getting emotionally attached to her. <laughs> uh, this this poor woman has been, as John said, through a traumatic experience. 
and there was a bit too much of a hint of satisfaction when she downed. She was on her fourth glass, I think, when Foggy was only on his first. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, she's going to make, I, I don't know, I just, I, you feel quite sad for her and you yeah. feel her pain. It does um, feel like a hint towards alcoholism. It's, yeah. It's, uh, oh, this is lovely and this is dulling the pain. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I, again, I, I love those scenes and uh, the scene where they're outside Matt's door and they're knocking going, oh, we swallowed the whole eel mm-hmm. and then the, the, the next door neighbor comes out. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Pretty really, good really yeah. good, good, again, comic relief yeah. for a very hard episode. Yeah. And it did feel like, it did feel like Foggy was the comic relief, but he's also the comic relief for Karen Page. She seems like she's going through such a traumatic experience, and, and she says it a couple of times, I really needed this, thank you so much, you know? And that's what it feels like. He's just kind of playing the clan around her, but, he, but the, the actor, Alden Hansen, is doing a good job of not overplaying it so, that, so it looks like he's playing it on film. It looks like he's just cheering up a friend. Uh, more so than anything else. Yeah, yeah, great. And I, I, I think that, that they've made great casting choices, and I think I'm going to stick to that. Yeah. I was a bit hesitant mm-hmm. with the actor chosen to play Foggy. Right. Um, but no, he so far he's done it justice. Um, he could have put a few more pounds on, but that's just <laughs> me and the comic books talking. Yeah, it's but, it's young Foggy now. So remember, young, he, has, yeah. he has time to eat some eat some more pies. All right, that's it on uh, on Foggy and Karen. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, I mean, in the same way that I think Vincent D'Onofrio or, or the Kingpin's sort of myth is growing by him not being there, I liked this nod from Claire Temple while she's tending to the wounds of, of um, Matt Murdock on her couch. This, um, this whole dialogue where she's saying, you know, I work in an A&E department and there's people coming in and they're talking about this guy in a black mask. Um, and it's almost it's great to see... Um, you hear now that there's but that there's this growing legend in hell's kitchen of this man in the black mask and i I like that little nod to say that you know his status is growing as well um in the the community of hell's kitchen yeah not just simply that there's this nefarious guy as well who seems a bit like a power broker in in the shadows and his sort of influence and, and network is also all powerful that there's this kind of these two things coming uh, together and obviously that works considering they're both adverse adversaries so i really kind of like that yeah and i, I but i still think again just the fact that there is the reveal to her that this is matt murdoch you know his his mask is taken off um and there is this idea that she doesn't want him to know much about her as well i think that's an interesting um sort of play in the dialogue between the two matt doesn't want her to ask any more questions about him where he's from and she says the same back which adds a lot of intrigue to her character as well i think you know before we started podcasting we were talking about um that you know from the comics she is also known as a a a mob doc isn't that right so it'd be interesting to see is she in some ways connected to one of these mob elements. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very possible. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, as you were saying, she was known as the mob doctor or the mob nurse. Um, she does actually then, in the comics, become a doctor nurse for heroes, mm-hmm. for the heroes of hires, for the defenders. Um, she becomes their go-to healer, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very important in that I, Matt's going to get take a lot of punishment in this season mm-hmm. and I think she will play an integral role in healing him stitching up quickly putting another 20 points of blood back into him right, with no questions <laughs> asked with no yeah. questions asked yeah. I think that's he I I would like to see something he's going to need to know something about her so that's quid pro quo in that they both know something about it and they're both held off that they're, they're not going to reveal each other's identity mm-hmm. um, the one thing I will say is I, I wasn't too much a fan of her costume which seemed to be just a pillowcase <laughs> over her head with a hood up yeah. Um, yeah. and two holes poked out um, and I was like we could have done something slightly better but, <laughs> but she gets her own costume in the show that's pretty impressive yeah that's the, true you know, especially in Daredevil but it was the it did seem like it was cobbled together just purely to hide her identity yeah. from yeah but like it was 
they went and got a hoodie from the drawer, yeah, pillowcase. Yeah. But also to spook him, and I, I will say that the scene when when Simeon wakes up on the roof and he's looking over the sh- over the shoulder of Daredevil in his black costume to Claire in her white costume, I did think there was a good little sidekick look about her. There was a good little piece that the two of them could be connected because it's the black and white um costumes there. I thought that was quite quite an interesting little look. And was quite surprised that uh, that they that they went for this and got a costume and cut out holes for the eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the other things, just quickly on um, Claire Temple was um, Rosario Dawson, uh, who plays it. I just loved how when she was trying to put the valve into his lung or his chest mm-hmm. to allow him to breathe again, because his lungs were beginning to collapse from uh, trapped in his chest. I think she was saying. I like the I, I like the fact that she was kind of feeling down the rib cage. I mean, whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. But it, it gave the whole sense of her as a really good nurse. And then again, another fairly creepy moment where she sticks the valve in and his chest uh, starts to hiss like a snake. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there are a lot of fairly gross out moments in this. I think. Yeah. And um, what with the eye, and then the whole sort of it's like a deflating balloon. Um, <laughs> You know, Daredevil was going to like sort of go out the window. Go, yeah. um, but I really liked how, you know, that was all done, that kind of medical element to um, to, to the whole dealing with uh, Daredevil's injury. So I really liked that as well. Yeah. I thought it was a nice little uh, touch and those different things that she did. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely, definitely enjoying Rosario Dawson's character in the show as well and really liking that, that discussion that you mentioned where you know, there's three guys arrived up, said they had tried to, tried to rob people of their wallets and got beaten up. A young girl uh, arrived at the hospital and said that she was uh, she was saved from being possibly beaten and raped by by an attacker, by a, a man with a black mask. I love those little connections that they, that they dropped in there. It was really good. I agree. It, was, it shows that Daredevil, that we're not just seeing everything in linear timeline mm-hmm. that he has done stuff between the episode yeah. one and episode two. Mm. So this would be a nice way of kind of going off that, okay, maybe he's beaten up some mob boss. We don't need to see everything. Yeah. Even though each, we're going to get 13 hours of it, there's still stuff that eh, they probably thought just wasn't cinematic enough, visually and good enough, and story-driven enough that they needed to show. Although mm. I would have liked to see the fight between the four guys, three guys and Daredevil, and yeah. they end up with nine broken bones. <laughs> yeah. um, that would have been quite a good fight scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to bring on to my next point. This is the one thing that took me out of the whole episode. Yeah. Um, and it really, really bugged me. Um, so, young Matt uh, hears a loud gunshot and yes. runs down an alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, runs to an alley where he's stopped by uh, two cops. Mm-hmm. He then says it's someone quite close to him. Yeah. And he runs into the alley ahead of the cop now this is a blind child Mm -hmm. and they let him run and then he gets down on his knees crying and starts to feel this person's face with his bare hands right he's contaminating a crime scene which is roped (laughs) off and the cops just walk up behind him saunter almost Uh and just stay there they're like no 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 child come away from the blood stop (laughs) stop putting your DNA and everything over this person this dead body no, 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 none of that. Yeah. Just, yep, yeah, let him go, let him cry. Very moving scene. Uh-huh. But that just took me the hell out of it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's almost like they were the cops from Gotham, really. <laughs> maybe some of the extras from Gotham walked onto the set of, uh, of Daredevil, maybe. <laughs> That's a pity. Yeah, I, I thought the scene was quite emotional. I think, uh, I think it's, it's definitely a, a very a huge scene format. Um, and I'm really interested to see how they play it out if they're going to do some more flashbacks to Matt as a young kid. Um, but yeah, I, I see. I see your points there. <laughs> because the only reason I will allow it, if that they show that because young Matt went in and contaminated the scene, the killers got off mm-hmm. an illegal loophole, right. and that's what drove him to be a lawyer. Oh wow! That would be nice. That oh, would be the only reason I would actually let it off. Other than that, it was like mm, showrunner snafu. Should have seen this one. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. Right, we will uh, we will return to that yeah. one in a future episode. Uh, well, like I think my last point kind of links in with what Chris has just said, and that's the whole flashbacks. Yeah, there were some flashbacks in the first episode, but here we really did see that um, flashback element um, in in um, back at Fogwell's 
um, you know, in the house again, seeing uh, the young uh, Matt Murdock tending to his father's wounds. Oh, yeah. Um, it all told the really classic story here from, um, you know, of his father's death that ultimately propels him down the path to become the lawyer. And I, I think, you know, the first episode we, we saw the accident in, in flashback, and then now we get that, you know, iconic story of his father throwing the match or the fight the wrong way um, and paying the price for that. And um, <clears throat> I really like that. I must say, I did find it slightly strange that he had watched his father on the TV screen, was just waiting for his dad to, to come back home, I assumed. I think I would have preferred the cops coming to his door to say yeah. that his father had, or there had been an accident, a terrible accident, rather than a gunshot going off. Because to me, it was almost like, was it a premonition? Was it, his, you know, or it's his bat hearing or something? But, you know, how far <laughs> away was sorry, Yeah, his devil hearing. You know, how far away was he from um, the scene of the crime? And it, it just... I kind of didn't buy it myself a bit, even though him knelt down um, by his dad was an emotional moment, and I really liked the scene. Mm. I, I didn't buy how he got there. Right. Um, and I think even if cops had turned up, told him it had been a terrible accident, and maybe even then taken him to the scene where they're putting him into the back of an ambulance to essentially identify yeah. And maybe you see him then with the person who, I think earlier in the episode, um, his, his battling Jack Murdoch does call someone on the payphone to say, I'm going to do something that I might not actually get out of. I mean, he realizes that him throwing the fight this way could land him in trouble. Yeah. And he's speaking to someone on the other end of the line, and maybe that they would um, you know, be there at the crime as well to identify the body. But that's just something that maybe tends towards mine and probably Chris's kind of preferences. I suppose that requires an extra five minutes to do or something, and mm. they can't fit that into the script right, or into right. how they want to, to film it. So, I mean, I suppose there's different pressures, but um, I like the flashbacks here and like, because it dealt with that whole starting point of him becoming a vigilante in terms of justice for other people against mm -hmm. you know criminals or corrupt officials and that to me was really good to see um, and I, I like those flashbacks yeah yeah um definitely and that brings me on to my final point and my final film reference oh what's this one no um, mm. no nope. nope, it's not Daredevil. no it's not uh, well, you could do a film reference Daredevil 2003 <laughs> <laughs> I think Batman's been referenced a few times in the, in the show to be honest uh, this one was actually from a very obscure one anybody recognize the line in the fifth your ass goes down repeat after me this is a line from the film Pulp Fiction Marcellus Wallace says it to Bruce Willis oh, uh, wow. Yeah, okay. in the scene where battling Jack Murdoch is getting his orders from uh, from the two, ho two hoods uh, telling them what round he needs to needs to take a fall in they say to him in the fifth you go down repeat after me yeah that was um, Busco Sweeney and Silk yeah who yeah. are actually from the comic books I didn't know this alright um, are they in uh, Man With a Fear because I think yeah. they might be yeah and they're... Silk Silk has a son mm -hmm. who has a son mm -hmm. who ends up being Wilson Fisk's um, best friend sorry Wilson Fisk's son Richard Fisk's best friend and again it's the Silk and it's so I'm wondering if Sweeney's in there somehow as well we'll yeah. find out more it, that their sons now work for Wilson Fisk because it's setting up that crime mentality. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, going back is <laughs> interesting. And the good thing about that that comic book spoiler is it'll take about fifteen or twenty seasons of Daredevil to get to yeah. that point. So that's good, <laughs> unless there's a big yeah. time jump. So yeah, season two and three. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, um, there you go. That was my that was my final uh, my final uh, reference point for this for this episode. Pulp Fiction uh, scene with Marcellus Wallace. Thought it was really interesting that they. That they took the line specifically from that. It's one of probably the most famous boxing 
fight fixing scenes in the last uh, in the last 20 years so i thought it was interesting that they lifted the line from there uh, well done guys i love when people put in references to films i like so uh, well done for that so guys have we got any other points on the episode the only thing I've got is there was a Visit Island poster in the background um, in one of the flashbacks. And, of course, we are podcasting from Ireland, mm-hmm. um, as you can tell by my gorgeous Irish accent. <laughs> um, and, uh, the one non-Irish person in the room. And I did see that. I thought it was then quite funny that they, um, his dad asked them for scotch. But nonetheless, um, That's there was right, a nice, uh, I think, Visit Island poster in the background um, mm-hmm. of... Uh, the kitchen, I think it was in. Um, so yeah. In the Murdoch home, that's right. And there was an Irish flag on the wall of Fogwell's gym as well. Yeah, so yeah. come and visit us. Yes. <laughs> visit Ireland.com. Uh, <laughs> no, us. I mean, Defenders TV podcast that's in true. Ireland. That's very true. Um, Chris, any other notes? Or any other points? Nothing for me. All right. For that, guys, Chris, do you defend episode two of Daredevil? This one is completely innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Um, definitely Ooh. must watch. John, do you defend episode two of Daredevil? I do defend episode two of Daredevil. I give it three and a half horns out of five. Oh, interesting. A little, little drop off from last week. Um, yeah, felt this was a really good episode. It, it met definitely, probably more so than the first one. I wanted to watch the first episode and sit down and podcast about it. This episode made me want to sit down and watch episode three. Um, so I'm delighted we got through this podcast so we can go off and watch another episode. Um, I'm delighted to talk about it, though. It was really good to, uh, really good to get you guys' opinions and get some, uh, get some good discussion on this episode. Yeah, well, um, remember that you can um, listen to us on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes and search Defenders TV Podcast um, at Stitcher, Player FM, or any other good podcast catcher. Um, and you can obviously be listening to our lovely Irish accents and um, visit Ireland, obviously. Um, and you can obviously listen to our uh, discussions and chats and reviews of these 13 episodes of Daredevil. Yes, and please let us know your thoughts. Send us an email into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, DefendersCast. Search us on Facebook. We're up on there. Again, Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, find us on whatever social media you want to connect with us on but send us your thoughts guys with that I think we'll close out thanks very much for listening yeah thanks so much for listening see you next episode